follows the free kick. Colaccini nearly got ahead on it. Tiote, great strike! Oh! It's an absolutely fantastic goal! He bounces on the crossbar and it's to the net! Would you believe it? Divo Carigi! Balotelli, Aguero! Post-game to Martin download after a wonderful final day of the Premier League season. Survival Sunday lived up to its billing, I would say. Ian Gilmore and Adam Baker, the usual cast. And we've added one more since halftime. Julian Mitchell joins us now after getting off the golf course <laughs> of all places this morning. Kyle Turk, Sam Britton, Joe Fryhofer back with us once again. I don't know how you're allowed to go play golf and then see your team secure Champions League football. It just seems, seems kind of unfair. Hey, but you caught the second half. You caught where it was important. Uh, Julian, that second half was quite good from United, much of the same in the first half, except um, they got two goals in the second half. Bruno Fernandez stepping up, sliding home a penalty. Jesse Lingard at the death uh, off of a Capsper Schmeichel mistake. What's the vibe like in St. Louis, Julian? It's, it's great. It's, it's huge. I will. I mean, like you said, I, I tuned in the second half, and at least the, the early parts of the second. Um, it just seemed like it, it was going for Leicester. I felt like they had some good chances, some great opportunities. And I mean, I don't know necessarily if United was the better team, but I mean, a huge penalty, huge penalty that I, I mean, the announcers were saying it, that Bar VAR could have taken it over, could have moved it on, but not enough to change it. it ends with a Fernandez uh, penalty that goes in. And I mean, really that that's the game. The second goal was just uh, Lingard getting in on the last minutes there, but that penalty, penalty was it. Leicester had some great chances, um, but feel good about United. I mean, a team that got healthy at the right time, went on a good run, and got it done. That secures Champions League football for next year. I know you don't have experience with it so far, but what, what's your kind of level of excitement for that? Feeling good, feeling good. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. So basically now they can do all the, the summer transfers, pick up new players for the Champions League. Is that how that works? Yep. Okay, so, yeah, I'm feeling good. The team is, is healthy, uh, like I said before, but been hearing moves for, for Sancho and some other players on the summer, summer transfers. So, I mean, if that's a player they're going to pick up, that's a huge addition to the team. Um, and I think that that'll just make them even better. I don't know necessarily. I caught a Liverpool game, like, a little while ago, and Liverpool is, like, a completely different beast. I don't know if they're at that level yet to compete with them, but I, I like the chances with a healthy team going into it. Now, on the flip side of things, Sam, it wasn't the best day for you. Um, but we have to look at the big picture, I think, with Leicester. If you told a Leicester supporter that they would finish fifth this year in the Champions League on the first day, I think they would have snatched your hand off. It did change a little bit throughout the season because of the lead they had. They were ahead, by, ahead of United by 14 points uh, as recent as January 31st. So the way it happened, I think, is the reason for a bit of doubt. Um, do you still still think this is a successful season? Yeah, uh, I mean it mostly. It, it just hurts more than anything because I the stat you just brought up they were ahead by fourteen points not that long ago. I've heard that. I swear to God, like every podcast I've listened to on Leicester, like every article I've read brings that up at least one time. So I just I've had to like keep. I've that that information has been regurgitated to me so many times. And that's mostly what hurts. But, I mean, you put that aside. Like, if they would have kind of stumbled to the finish line and got, like, barely gotten Europa, like, that would have been a success. So, I mean, the fact that they still comfortably made it in 
you know, that's a big deal. And um, it's, uh, you know, I mean, if a bigger team like Liverpool or, uh, sorry, Joe, Arsenal made Europa, it's kind of like they have more money. So that, that sort of money is kind of pointless to them. For Leicester, you know, they could use the extra cash, buy more players. Um, you know, I mean, I hate to say it, but they're probably going to lose three of their best guys uh, in the transfer window. But, um, you know, I mean, it's still, we were saying in the stream, it's still the best finish I've had from a pro sports team since like the Tigers made it to the World Series eight years ago. So, you know, all things considered, I'll take it. Adam, the big picture for Leicester, um, you know, that fairy tale run to win the title a couple of years ago. And then the year after that, being the last English team left in the Champions League. Now they're kind of in this, I think, sort of um, state of purgatory where we don't know what's going to happen next season. What do you think the outlook is like for them? Where do you see them finishing in the table next season? And how far do you think they can make it in Europe? Uh, I think Europa is going to take a hit on the squad and they'll make a good run in there but not finish top seven. I mean, I don't think let's do it. I, I wouldn't see them finishing above Wolves again and doing it, a, finishing ahead of Arsenal and Tottenham again will just be tough. And what I've been telling Sam all year is just, we don't know like if the real Leicester City is the 2019 version or the 2020 version. With who they're going to lose, I think we're going to see more of the 2020. If they lose like Madison and Chilwell, I'm thinking we're going to see more of the 2020 version next season. Yes. Um, the other game that had Champions League implications today, Chelsea and Wolves. It finished 2-0 uh, after two goals in first half stoppage time. So Chelsea secures that top four spot, uh, and Wolves drop down to seventh uh, because of Spurs uh, getting a draw and being better on goal difference. Um, Turk, if we look at this Chelsea team, we've harped on it a bit about how they're not necessarily on paper right now, um, a top four side, but the transfers they have coming in, Timo Werner, Hakim Ziyech, um, and then Frank Lampard with more and more experience under his belt. Where do you see them going next season? Can they challenge for a title? A title is maybe a stretch. I think we still have to see what this season means for the title race when you factor in Liverpool did overachieve somewhat. And City were, I don't know if you want to call them inconsistent because they were still you know one of the best teams in Europe the entire season, but I think the, the way the way Liverpool won this title was just so maybe not necessarily unusual, but so unexpected to not get that challenge from City. Chelsea, I don't know how they kind of factor into it. When you factor in United, as Julian said, I mean, are they at that level of Liverpool and City? Maybe not yet. But Chelsea, if you it's it's tough to identify where they can use a few more reinforcements. They've got their striker and Tame Abraham. Maybe you bring in someone to kind of challenge him. I don't know, Giroud. I just figure Giroud is, you know, just going to continue aging. Uh, the young and talent they're bringing in, the young talent they've already got when you factor in someone like Christian Pulisic. Uh, William is still – he's getting older, but still is in a good spot. Yeah, you, you wonder where they kind of factor into that race. I still think they're probably comfortably in fourth, maybe above where Adam was saying, you know, that Leicester, Wolves, Arsenal, Tottenham region is. But I don't know if maybe they're on that same level as United, but definitely not at the top uh, The top two. Now, on the flip side, I think for Wolves, a seventh place finish is by no means a bad finish. Uh, but the, the, gray, the gray area for me is if you call it a successful season. Joe, Arsenal right behind them finishing in eighth. Um, that's not where Arsenal wants to be. But is that a spot that you think is a successful season for Wolves? 
I think certainly so. If you look from top to bottom, it's been an incredible climb to success, of course, in uh, Nuno and the job that he's done overall at the helm there, right? You have one of the most explosive and fascinating players to watch on the planet, I would say, in Adama Traore. And overall, this team has weapons. When they come together and get things done, they have one of the best attacks that I think can easily cement themselves a spot in Europa. Um, and they should be grateful that they're fighting in that position right now on the table. It's been quite the journey for them, and I don't think it stops here. I think it continues. The uh, one question for them, I think, sorry, and the one question for them is the, what happens to Jimenez, what happens to Traore, and what even happens to someone, uh, you know, they've got the couple of younger talents on the outside too, someone like Diego Jota. Maybe they start to get the looks from those top-level teams that, and maybe Wolves run into a situation where they can't really afford to hang on to those top guys. And they, they have had this um, odd thing where these players are top-notch quality, but they haven't gotten those looks yet. But they keep going out and grabbing one or two guys in the transfer window that, you know, maybe a little under the radar um, and then grooming them up and becoming a, a top-half team. If we look at other thing, other side of things now, the relegation battle, it came down to the last minute. West Ham and Villa finished 1-1, and all Villa needed was a point to stay up. Grealish with a goal in the 84th minute, and then Yarmolenko with a goal one minute later in the 85th. It was a bit nervy there for Villa for a minute, Turk. Did you think that there was a chance they might slip and go down? He's frozen on mine. Okay, we'll, we'll switch that question over to Adam. I, you were confident the whole time. Did you ever think that there was a chance when, when West Ham scored that one late on, did you think West Ham could get another one and send Villa down? I was a little nervous. They're going to just kind of, uh, what's the, did they, they were just going to break down after that. But I was, uh, I felt like they could, you know, just sit back and park. The goal was really unfortunate the way it went in. That was a, uh, kind of against a run of play from how Villa were sitting. I think that was West Ham's first shot on target, if you <laughs> even want to call that a shot on target. So, I mean, it was only five minutes. I felt like they could get it done. They did. Thankfully, Grealish's goal wasn't in vain. I'm glad he was the guy that did it. And just uh, a great – I'm hoping he leaves Villa this summer. A great way for him to go out. The uh, The other big match uh, along the bottom side, Bournemouth 3, Everton 1. The cherries looked good for one of, one of the first times in a while, but all in vain, uh, nothing coming of it. And I think we have to go back uh, and think about the first game back from restart, Aston Villa, Sheffield United, when the, the phantom, the Hawkeye system, uh, let this phantom goal go in, and, and uh, who, Aston Villa's keeper kept it out, right? Um, and it ended in a nil-nil draw instead of a one to win for Sheffield United. That would have given Villa one less point, so they would have been even with Bournemouth, and it would have given them one less goal, and they would have had worse goal difference than Bournemouth. So Bournemouth go down because of a failure of goal decision system. Joe, this is something we haven't really seen before. It's kind of unprecedented. Um, I don't want to get into legal stuff too much, but how, how do you feel if you're Bournemouth that way? You feel ripped off. You feel sour. And I just think it goes back. Look, let's look at countless examples of VAR overall in the Premier League, right? So much needs to change. We talk about how subjective it is. Uh, I can think back to an Arsenal game where they sat on VAR looking at a challenge in our own box for darn near five minutes. Then the referee uh, goes over to the monitor and looks at one view for roughly three seconds and calls it a penalty instantly. 
there's so much of a misconnection and miscommunication between whoever it is way up in the box or who knows how many miles away from the stadium and the head official who is there, who sees it in person and who for me needs to ultimately make the final decision every time. There's so much to be reworked. This is a new system that we're just seeing for the first few seasons here in the Premier League. So there's going to be hiccups, but it's this season been particularly poor. Oh, we'll get back to the AR in a minute. Hopefully Turk rejoins because he had some strong opinions on that. We'll stick with you, Joe. Watford, or Watford 2, Arsenal 3, Watford go down. Uh, they kind of looked like they might come back a little bit in the second half there. Denny Welbeck with a 66th-minute goal. Uh, you touched on this during halftime, but Arsenal's defensive woes. Against a struggling Watford side uh, with a, a new manager, I won't even get into that, uh, in, the first, in the last two games of the season – uh, it's a 3-2 win. It's an eighth-place finish. It is uh, an FA Cup final in a, in a couple weeks, or a couple days, actually. What is, what is your feeling right now? Where is your head at as a, as a Gooners fan? I'm surprised that I'm not completely bald after following this team for an entire season. Look, the, the word that comes to mind for me at the end of the day is instability. So, one match, we come in looking world-class, and Arteta masterclass against Manchester City, against Liverpool. The defense looks unbelievably polished. And then another game comes out, the final one of the season, against a complete bottom-tier side like Watford, and David Luiz concedes another penalty and becomes the man with the most penalties ever conceded in a single season, right? So there's question marks all over the team, from re-signing a 33-year-old who – would never get a shot at his Brazilian national team, which he used to be and used to compete for Champions Leagues with Chelsea. It seems as though this club loves to sign washed-up Brazilians from Chelsea. Maybe we'll get our hands on Willian at the end of the season. But look, there is positivity, okay? There's youth in this side. Reese Nelson, Joe Willick. We see a young Kieran Tierney. Hector Bellerin is back in good health with his ACL on the other side. We saw positivity. But at the end of the day, there are a few things that you have to do, one of which is re-signing Aubameyang, which I pray to the heavens again, like I've been saying they do, and get rid of some of these guys who are poor for the culture. Mesut Ozil, nowhere in the picture. David Luiz, somehow still in the picture. You've got to replace these guys. It's time to build for the future, and we cannot continue and accept the mediocrity of some of these players that we have on our side. On the other side of North London, Spurs finish 1-1 against Palace, uh, secure a sixth-place spot, uh, which means European football for them. Adam, we have kind of spoke about how maybe it's not the best thing for Spurs to be in Europe, but if you're Spurs, that's what, what, that's what the goal is. That's what we're aiming for. What kind of job has Jose Mourinho done since restart, since he's been there, uh, that the defensive record has been quite, quite good? Um, is he the man to take Spurs forward, and should they give him a whole nother year? At, at this point, yes. I mean, if you want to go back, I wouldn't have sacked Poch in the first place. But nope. nowadays, like, <laughs> uh, a little hard to focus with Joe's uh, disapproval of Jose <laughs> every time his name is mentioned. But, no, I think he's definitely, he's definitely the guy to take him forward at this point. You're not going to replace him. It's a shame that in his situation, Levy's not going to financially back him the way he probably anticipated when he signed. I mean, you look at who Chelsea and United are signing, and the Spurs are going to get Pierre-Emery Koyberg. So, I mean, it's it's tough, but if there's a manager who can make a make a lot with a little, it's it's Mourinho. He'll, and they can just use Europa League as a second method to qualify for the 2022 Champions League. <laughs> 
Uh, Joe, from that look, I, I, I assume you disagree with Adam. Who do you think would be better suited to take Spurs forward than Jose Mourinho? I only react like this because of the irony of the entire situation. Uh, Maurizio Pochettino takes them all the way to the Champions League final, right? And after they fall to Liverpool after giving up an early penalty, Spurs fans are up in arms, right? You finished in second in 2016 or 2017. You finished in third in 2018. And there's kind of this slide. And they're saying to themselves, a Champions League final isn't good enough, despite the fact that let's go and find our trophy case. Oh, wait a minute. We don't have one. <laughs> you want more than that? And you get rid of this guy who's created a culture unknown to man at Spurs. And in comes, Poch, or excuse me, in comes Mourinho. And I, I just, I cannot wait to watch this Amazon documentary when it comes out to expose oh. all of the insanity that he pulls week in and week out. Adam, do you have yeah, some? Um, <laughs> no, the, the Amazon doc will be great. Just seeing Mourinho's appointment. I want to see how the squad kind of thought about it. And I do want to know, like, kind of the interpersonal relationships of Mourinho at Spurs. The only publicized one is him and Ndombele, and it's not too positive. Mm-hmm. So just seeing more, of the, seeing more of the inside is going to be real nice. And, no, yeah, I agree again. They should have never fired Poch. I think it was just a slump. They messed up keeping the same squad, keeping a lot of the players. Manager wasn't the issue. And they're still not going to refresh the lineup. So what was the point? To just gloss over a couple of the other results that didn't really matter in the table too much. Liverpool 3, Newcastle 1, no surprise there. City pour 5 on Norwich uh, as they send them back to the championship. Southampton 3, Sheffield United 1. Sheffield United's dream season ends in ninth place, and Burnley loses 2-1 to Brighton, even though Burnley secured a top-half finish. The Golden Boot Race came down to the last minute. Jamie Vardy does take it home. Sam, be happy about that with 23. Pierre Aubameyang was right behind with 22, as well as Danny Ings on 22. And Raheem Sterling pulling up the pack with 20 goals. I want to go around the room here. Sam, we'll start with you. Which, if any of those guys, would you back to take the Golden Boot next season? Oh my gosh, um, man! I've watched City play just like like just since the restart. Like I, you know, I I hadn't. I'm, Julie and I have been a soccer fans for like not even like three months yet. Like but, an hour, really? Yeah, like, <laughs> like two weeks. Um, but since I watched some slack. <laughs> since, since I've watched uh, City and Liverpool from the restart, like Sterling and Salah, I mean, like those guys are from another planet. So I mean, if I had to pick one. I, I mean, it, it, it's got to be Sterling. Like, I, I think he's already had, like, two hat tricks since the restart, you know, and a number of other goals. So, I mean, he's just – he's insane. So, if I had to pick one guy, I'd say him. Like, he's got the players to back him, and it's Sterling. He's, he's one of the greatest players in the world. Julian, for you as a United fan, the, the front line is kind of – they kind of split goals evenly. They have been Greenwood, Rashford, Martial, and even Bruno Fernandes, I think we can throw in the mix. Do you see any of those guys challenging for the Golden Boot, or would it possibly go to one of the guys that was uh, challenging for it this year? That's where it gets tough, because I think, like you said, they split a lot of goals. And the the thing is, you like having that as a a complete attacking option. But, I mean, between Rashford and Greenwood, those two, especially now and in this later stage, Greenwood has really come on, while Rashford has kind of necessarily taken a step back, but Greenwood has just been fantastic. And it's tough to have both of those guys kind of compete and see who can get more goals. I do think if I was to, to pick a name out of United, I'd probably take Rashford 
Um, I think he, he can turn it on. Um, seeing what he can do, and especially in one-on-one situations, he's a monster with the ball. Um, so I think if I was to pick one from United, I'd pick Rashford. I do think, like with Sam, Sterling, Man City is just – they're another animal. And that's kind of a question I want to ask you guys as, after we go around in this circle, but just how good City, Liverpool are comparatively to, to the other teams in the table. Joe, for Aubameyang, it's all about if he stays, but do you think that he could take it home next year? There's absolutely zero argument here in this entire conversation. If we look in the stats, so only four players have managed 20-plus goals in Europe's top five leagues, four players in the last five seasons. Cristiano Ronaldo, Lionel Messi, Robert Lewandowski, Lewandowski. and Thank you. So at the end of the day, he's consistently been a top four striker on the planet the past five seasons, and the trend is only going to continue next season should he stick around. Turk, uh, to you, of the guys that challenged this season, who would you who would you most back? If you're a betting man, which I know you are, who would you put your money on no. to, to take it next season? And uh, any uh, chance that Charleston's in there too. <laughs> no, see, that's the thing is um... – you know, the, the way the Richarlison and, and Calvert-Lewin split goals, uh, I'd expect them to both be, you know, up around double figures, but I don't know if they're anywhere near. Uh, Joe, don't get me wrong, is, is Aubameyang staying? Are we, are we even sure about that? I, I'm, I'm genuinely curious. No, set, set until June of 2021, so we got one more season out of him. Uh, yeah, see him? There's a lot of good options when it comes to aging strikers, I think, in this league. When you look at Sergio Aguero, Aubameyang's not getting any younger, and neither is Jamie Vardy. Um, yeah, if you ask me to pick a Golden Boot winner for next year right now, um, I couldn't go with someone United because they, they remind me a lot of the Saints offense uh, in, yeah. in the American football where, you know, uh, no one dominant receiver because they all get the ball yeah. so much. Um, I, I, I don't mind the Raheem Sterling um, conversation. Oh, man. It's tough because – Mane and Salah didn't necessarily look the same way they did uh, the season before. I think Liverpool's attack in, in general was a little bit better the season before. I'll go with Sterling. Um, if I wanted an out-of-left-field pick, um, you could definitely even see me saying Sergio Aguero could, could get back up past 20 again. Aubameyang will be right there. Vardy will be right there. Even Harry Kane will be right there if they don't run him into the ground again next season. Adam. Uh, all right, so existing players, I'm riding with Aubameyang. I think that's back-to-back 22-goal seasons in his only full season. But top scorer next season, Timo Werner. I'm, I'm calling it. I think he'll – I think he's going to adjust seamlessly. He'll just – and that Chelsea creativity with him, Pogosic, Ziyech, if they get Havertz, Mount, or whoever starts between Mount and Kovacic, helping him. I think even if he's unclinical, which he can be at time, the amount of chances he's going to make for himself, he can easily get 25. He can easily get 20 plus. I wouldn't be surprised 25 and push up from there. But question for Julian, if God forbid a United gets Sancho, would you want it to be straight up just Sancho replaces Greenwood or Greenwood goes striker, Sancho benches Martial from what you've seen? I think I, I would take Martial on the bench and still have Greenwood in as a striker. I think, at least from, from the games that I have watched, really love Martial, love what he brings. I think having Greenwood and Rashford both out there with what they can do, how creative they can be, 
their communication with Fernandez and the way that works between all three of those guys, I mean, I think you have to keep that out there as much as you possibly can. You guys already think that Greenwood is better than Martial? Yes. Wow. I'd say so. Martial is just a weird I think and inconsistent. So. Again, and, in, in limited games I've seen, I mean, Martial, as, as Adam was saying, he's had great moments, but comparatively to Greenwood, Greenwood has been consistently since coming back fantastic. I mean, his play has been great. And I imagine if you put Greenwood down the middle, it's just going to help him that much, that bit more to get him in those opportunities more often. And he has the best shot on that United team. Like, if he has a clear shot at goal, he rarely misses. Give him a full-season striker. With Sancho and Rashi providing for him, that could be uh, could be some uh, dangerous stuff for United. People are still saying they might buy a striker, too. To Adam's point about Timo Werner, on the Xbox, he's got 17 goals in 18 games for Newcastle in the 2022-23 Um to, to Julian's question that he was he wanted to pose to the group, we'll do another roundtable here. Um, are we going to get another Man City-Liverpool strictly title race next year? Or does Man U have a chance at it? Does Arsenal have a chance at it? Do Spurs have a chance at it? Do Chelsea have a chance at it? Or is it going to be another two-horse race? We'll start with you, Joe. Yeah, for me, there's – I mean, I'm completely flattered that you would even include Arsenal. <laughs> you feel like I had to just because you were here. Like, Let's not be coy. I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> yes, I think that if Chelsea right now, as is – the just midfield and attacking talent that they have, if you combine that with a few more signings, it almost blows my mind that it's even possible for them to still bring in Kai Havertz. And just think about that potent attack. I think also uh, there were some teams that can still do a lot more should they retain guys. I wouldn't be surprised to see Wolves even climb up a little further if they can continue to keep around some of these attackers that they have. But no, I don't think – I mean, Liverpool, if you look at the trophy case they've had, in the past season, it's been ridiculous. I just don't think you can repeat that. Julian, you've talked about how Liverpool and City are, you know, different beasts. But this Man U team has potential. It looks dangerous. Is there a chance that your guys challenge, you think? I do think so. I think I think you look straight up on paper. I mean, that it's a starting, starting squad that really could compete with anybody. The thing that does scare me and the thing I've noticed with Manu, especially in the last few games, they seem to come out with not a consistent amount of effort in every single game. I mean, I think it was West West Ham, I believe, the game before Leicester that should have been a clear-cut victory. And it would have, you know, got rid of any chance of this game going wrong for Manu today. And then you come into this game, huge game, need this one to win, get in the top clinch spot in the top four, and at least early on, it just seemed like it's with the team with Rashford, Greenwood, you got Fernandez, Martial, Pogba, everyone, you would expect just more potency, more power for me, at least when, when watching some of the games. I just think in terms of effort wise, I mean, we talk a lot about Maguire and his um, <laughs> defensive failings. Uh, De Gea has his moments as well. I think there are just moments for this team where they just don't look as good as they should. Palace, something similar, I think, with them, too. I think that was another game where, where they kind of they, – they are hit or miss. I will say that, yeah. too. Adam, do you think it, it becomes just another two-horse race again? I think it's going to be like how the Bundesliga season was this year, where, like, up until March, it's like, oh, there's four to five teams involved in this race. And then a few more weeks are going to pass, and it's just going to become clear. It's going to be between Liverpool and City. 
I just think if – okay, because I kind of think Abramovich is just going to remind everyone he's rich this summer by Havertz and still get a full new back line. But if they don't, I think you look at Liverpool's defense versus United and Chelsea's defense, and then you put Klopp and Pep up against Lampard and Ole, and it's just who do you trust to go nine months? I think they'll be a lot closer next season, the, the chasers. But I think by the end, I think you're looking at a 10-plus a ten plus point gap between second and third. Sam, you've seen what the, the big teams have done to your side since uh, getting back. Do you think that Man City and Liverpool are heads above the rest? Well, based on my extensive Wikipedia research and uh, <laughs> the NBC pregame, uh, you know, every time I watch that show, uh, no, I'm, I'm kind of with Adam. You know, Liverpool and City, they're just – they're so good. Um, I don't I don't see them dismantling anything or, you know, maybe they'll buy a couple guys, but, like, why change what's working so well? You know, Chelsea, like you said, um, how do you say the owners? Roman Abramovich. Abramovich. You guys kind of cut out there. Um, you know, he'll probably just throw his wallet down on the table again, buy some guys from Germany. Uh, I mean, Pulisic, he, he looks incredible. Um which makes me excited for American soccer. But, um, you know, I just I, I think it's Liverpool and City and Chelsea might, you know, they might make it interesting for a minute. Turk. The thing that I think we're maybe losing sight of in, fact, in all this, you know, the season getting announced already, it's September 15th, right? Start date four for 21-22. We've got to also remember that the European competitions start – uh, in about two weeks or about one week even in some cases. Yep. Maybe some of those teams such as United, who's still involved in the Europa League, City is still involved in the Champions League, uh, and somewhat crucially maybe Liverpool gets a couple months off and gets, gets their break and gets their guys rested. I know the three-month break, I don't know if, about you guys, but I don't think it really said anything about whether or not the top teams pulled away from the, from the chasing pack and the, maybe the – top four or five, six teams pulled away from the, the chasing middle. Um, I, I think if there is a team that has a chance to. Has he done it again? Did he freeze on your guys' Yep. Not mid. I was just going to ask him about VAR, too. Goodness. Turk's got a sentence, too. You know, you'd think journalists got to interview people from home, right? He's got to work on that Wi-Fi. Okay. Um. We'll, we'll move on and hope Turk's come, Kurt, Turk comes back so we can get a VAR little discussion going on. Um, but I want, I want to go around again uh, and do a little way too early top six. So we've, we've talked about, you know, who we think can challenge. But I want everyone to go through one through six just really quick. No, not much analysis. Just who do you think will finish one through six? Uh, Adam, we'll start with you. Liverpool, City, Chelsea, United, Wolves, Spurs. Sorry, Joe. Who do you think – do you think Sheffield United has another chance to get into that top six next year? Uh, no, 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 I don't think so. Even though, again, what we're – they luck, potentially lucked out by not getting in Europe, so maybe that will help their uh, Premier League consistency. But they're just not as good as the other teams. I'd be surprised if they could run it back with that same uh, defensive mindset. He's left Arsenal out of his top six. Joe, what do you think? Got to go Liverpool, and we'll go City. Um, I see United there as well. Uh, and then after that, it starts to get really dicey. I'm going to go Chelsea, and then we'll have Arsenal, and then go Leicester, 
after that. Lester at six. Sam's feeling about that. Sam, what about you? What would you say? Uh, I'm going to start off like everyone else. Uh, Liverpool, City. Uh, I'll throw Chelsea in there. I'll give United some respect. Um, and, then, you know, I'm going to put Sheffield in there. Uh, I, I think they can pull it off. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to put Leicester in. I, I think Wolves can maybe get it done. If not Wolves, I, I don't know about Leicester. I think that one's a little dicey. But I'll pull Wolves in. Okay. Julian. All right. Uh, yeah, more of the same. Give me Liverpool, City. Uh, I'm going to go United and Chelsea. Uh, give me the Spurs. And then I'll go with Arsenal. Okay. Um, I'm going to do it here just because I feel like I want to. Um, I, I think this is this next season is going to be interesting. It's one of those um, in the middle of the 20-teens, we had this Man City dynasty forming. And then Antonio Conte came along with Chelsea and, and ruined it in, I think, 2016, 17. Is that, is that when they won? Uh, the year yeah. after Leicester. Um, I, I think that's a, a definite possibility next year. If I, if I had to just do this to be different than everyone, I'm going to go Man United winning the title for the first time since Sir Alex left. And then Man City right behind him. We'll go Liverpool in third, Chelsea fourth. Um, and then I do think Wolves makes it in that top six. Um, and I think Arsenal is there as well. I think Spurs miss out on top six. Um, but it, it will be – this next season is going to be very interesting because I think Liverpool are coming off of that – at least that high perch. Maybe they're coming to that the next perch right below it. Um, if we want to get into VAR real quick, I know Turk was the one with the most strong feelings on this. Um, but we, me and Turk were talking about two things during the game. Is one – the handball rule, where if it touches an attacker anywhere on the arm in the buildup, it's no goal. Uh, and the other is the offside rule, how very fine-tuned it is in that if your you know, armpit is a millimeter offside or offside. Uh, my, my argument was the way the handball is right now, it's black and white. Uh, and if you change it, it becomes subjective. It becomes a gray area. Uh, and then we harp on the referees during the game for making the wrong call. Uh, I'll start with you, Joe. Do you think VAR won? needs to be changed, and what would you change about it if so? 100% has to be changed. The biggest thing, like I was saying earlier for me, I've always been very frustrated that it's not the head referee, right, the guy who was in the park, who was right there, who saw it with his own eyes. For me, he has to be the one who can make the final decision at the end of the day. He can get all the help he needs from these guys who are way off in the studios with all the monitors. And I highly encourage, I don't know why they're not doing this, even though they're doing it in all the other international friendly competitions where the head guy comes up to the monitor and he can look at it for as long as he needs. That's fine. He'll walk around. No problem with this because people try to say that, oh, it takes away from the integrity of, you know, the original roles of our refs and that we need to let them make the most natural and in the moment calls as possible. If it's wrong, and Sheffield United somehow get relegated next year because a ref was too proud to go over and use the monitor. It's blasphemy. Let's get these guys over there and have them make the head decision. Sam, in your um, short time watching, what have your thoughts been on VAR? It's like, it's pretty much the same thing that the NFL has been going through for the past, like however long they've had instant replay, like 10, 15 years. Um, and I was, I was texting Julian about it the other day when United was playing, I think it was West Ham last week. Is that right, Julian? Yeah, there was a uh, West Ham got, they were about to go ahead. They got the goal that would have put them up two one, and West Ham striker was off by like 
I, I cannot even like express how close it was. He was like this, it was like less than a millimeter. He was offside and they, no goal. And I was just like, that is the least forgiving thing. Like that's far more, that is less forgiving than uh, like Saints Rams when they, when they blew the uh, pass interference call. And I just, I, I, I couldn't believe it. Um, so there definitely needs to be some reforms. I mean, I, I mean, I remember Lester got kind of screwed over against uh, Palace. Um, there was a handball in the it was like stoppage time, like 91st, 92nd minute. Lester should have got a, a PK. Um, they didn't because the ref was just like, nah, it's fine. So, and maybe they'd be in Champions League right now if they would if they would have made that penalty. But um, so yeah, I think I think it needs some some big time reform for sure. Julian, the same question to you. Yeah, I mean, I agree with Sam and with Joe. I think with VAR and with any instant replay, I mean, it's you're basically going with two extremes. If you stick with just refs making their most natural calls, then you get a lot of blown calls. You get a lot of, oh, I saw this and I saw that. But when you go with a computer, you're a replay monitor, whatever, you're sticking with this very strict, and as Sam said with the West Ham thing, he was offsides by if he had clipped his toenails that morning. He, he would have not been offsides is the difference between that. And that's just, that's way too strict and way too crazy and way too, just too much for, for the game. I think you have to find some sort of in-between that can give you a good objective call, but also one that isn't going to penalize somebody for, you know, a millimeter being offsides. And the, and the, the whole rule offside was designed to, take away that advantage for the, the offensive player, right? And is a millimeter an advantage is the question. Adam, if you were tasked with changing either the handball rule or the offside rule, um, what would you go about doing? All right, so starting with handball, I feel like there's a double standard that if a striker uses his hand at all, it disallows a goal. But if a defender uses his hand at all, it's up for the ref to decide if it was a penalty or not. So I feel like you got to put those on level ground. And I think the, the way to take it is loosen up the offensive rule. You sort of went against it a few minutes ago, but I think you got to just put the subjectivity back into it. And then just because sometimes, again, touching your finger on the way down shouldn't really disallow a goal. As for offsides, I saw Gary Lineker tweet this a few months ago. It was, I think there was two suggestions. There was give like, Give the referees a time limit to find out if it was offsides because the whole point of VAR is to be clear and obvious. So if you can't use the lines and you can't, like, find out he's one millimeter offsides, the goal should stand and just keep, uh, again, take out those lines. It's hard to say, like, regress the technology. But just stop spending five minutes per call. I think you got to put a time cap on it would be the simplest because I don't, I saw, I don't know if you saw Arlo White suggest this a while ago, use a thicker line. I don't think they would ever That's go that route, even though I would like it. But I think a time limit's almost a realistic one. And yeah. again, it has to be clear and obvious. If you show somebody the picture without the lines, they're not going to know that he was offsides. doesn't really fit like the description. Right. That is the biggest thing is sticking to that clear and obvious error. Um, to wrap up real quick, if you told me, you know, even three months ago, we'd have a, a six-person DeMartin download roundtable discussion. Um, I would have told you you're crazy. And it's been wonderful um, kind of growing the game with Sam and Julian. And I want to just kind of get your guys' thoughts of what this experience has been like so far for you um, as, as new football fans. Um, Bundesliga and Premier League, what has been your feelings? Um, what do you like about the game? What don't you like about the game? Julian, we'll start with you. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's great. I'm still getting into it. I'm, you know, prior to this, not been a soccer proponent. Felt like, I think to me, at least, the stigma has always been that the game is boring and that it's slow and you see scores across the ESPN ticker that are nil-nil or just one-nil and you're like, that is the slowest boring game that you could possibly ever watch. But actually sitting down watching, I think, for one, you realize that it's actually much quicker game. Goals have actually come, not I wouldn't say easily, but at least shots and seeing potential for goals are actually higher than you would think. And I, I've learned to see the kind of the, the beauty in the game of soccer. I don't know. I think it's, it's interesting watching soccer players work, getting in one-on-one situations, passes, all types of things that you wouldn't notice unless you actually sit down, watch the game, and, and take it all in. So I've, I've enjoyed it. I've loved it. Sam, what about you? Yeah, I was actually maybe thinking about writing a blog on my, uh, like, what, two-and-a-half-month experience being a soccer fan. Um, but it, it's it's been fun. Uh, a lot of the same stuff Julian said. You know, I'm still learning the formations. I was texting Adam the other day. Like, I'm starting to understand. It's like when you have open space, like, that means more scoring opportunities. Um, but the different formations are, you know, like why you would have three defenders or two defenders or three attackers, two midfielders, you know, all that. Um, but really what I like, uh, and this goes for all sports, is just the history of like all the teams, all the leagues. I've been texting Adam and Ian relentlessly about like all these cool little like soccer facts I found out. Like Casper uh, Schmeichel is our goalie and his dad was a legendary goalie for Man United back in the 90s, Peter Schmeichel. Um, and then I just, I got so giddy finding out. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. You know, like geeking out over this little like soccer history. Uh, and I do that for all sports, not just soccer. So like the fact that I have an entire continent of sports leagues to go and like delve into is awesome. And I love that. So I, I'm definitely here to stay. I'll be watching, what did Turk say? September 15th. That's when Premier League comes back. Yes, sir. Yep. Yes. I'll be, I'll be watching on, I don't know, do they call it opening day? Is that what it is? <laughs> I don't, I, is there a term for it? I don't, I don't know if there is. The first weekend back. Um, but I'll be excited for the first weekend back. <laughs> good, good stuff. Um, as we wrap up this uh, post game, the final day of the Premier League, um, just to get your final thoughts on this season. Joe, what have you thought of this season? I think it's been an absolute roller coaster. It's been incredible to watch how much Liverpool has grown over the years. I think Pep has created a powerhouse at City. Um, and overall, the Premier League proves, again, it's the most powerful, it's the most fun to watch, the best league for any fan to follow uh, on the planet. And it, I just want to say, again, like seeing you guys, Julian and Sam, seeing it on the call, getting into it, uh, name dropping like crazy. You guys have done your homework, and nothing could make me happier than being on the call and seeing you guys and growing the game at Michigan State. I feel like we've, we've come a long way, and um, I, just, I just love this game. What can I say? Adam, the first title for Liverpool in 30 years as a fan and as a neutral. I'm trying to, you know, take a step back and think about the big picture. What have you made of this season? Uh, so, obviously, from Liverpool's point of view, it was a nice, calm season. A pretty <laughs> Up until recently, like you knew they were going to win every game. But I think the fact that they didn't have a – the league didn't have a, a competitive title race but made up for it with the relegation and Champions League races was good for it. And it was exciting seeing, like – United and Chelsea compete now, knowing the signings they're going to get in the summer, specifically for Chelsea, the signings you know they already did. And just seeing – it'll be a year to look back on, like the opening – when the seeds were planted for like yeah. teams that could challenge for the title shortly. And 
yeah, just seeing them, Jose's first season at Spurs, see like if we'll come back and how we'll view that hiring. Arteta's first season at Arsenal. Just like four teams all look to really have the bo- the bottom four of the big six really look come back to this season as the turning point. Will it be good or bad in a few years? Yeah. Next season does promise to be intriguing, but before we get there, an FA Cup final on August 1st and the Champions League in August. It's been wonderful to have you guys on, and this discussion has been one of the best I've had in a while. Um, and we thank you for coming along with us, and we hope that you have found this episode to be, in the great words of Ray Hudson, Magisterio! Join us next time.